Welcome to the Magic Valley Bible Church Sermon Podcast. Magic Valley Bible Church has been serving the Magic Valley for 20 years and is located at the corner of Gooding and Main Street in downtown Twin Falls, Idaho. Our service starts at 9 a.m. and is streamed live on our YouTube channel. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.mvbibletf.org or Facebook at facebook.com slash mvbible or YouTube at youtube.com slash mvbible. Magic Valley Bible Church, built on God's Word. Of course, the Reformation not only brought a return to the truth, but it also brought with it hymns to speak of the truth and to sing of the truth. And so um, it's a joy to sing such songs that come out of a, a period of time where God was gracious to help the church be focused on what is right and what is true. Please take your Bibles and open them to Romans chapter 3. I want you to turn to Romans chapter 3. I want to read our passage that is set before us, and then we'll pray, and then we'll dive into this. Starting in verse 21, Romans 3 says this, But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe, for there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified as a gift by His grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in His blood through faith. This was to demonstrate His righteousness because in the forbearance of God, He passed over the sins previously committed for the demonstration, I say, of His righteousness at the present time so that he would be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for the morning to be able to have our souls awakened. You've given us breath in our lungs. You've opened our eyes. We come here this morning to see your truth. Thank you for the word and how sufficient it is and how your word could take down a whole institution. The Catholic Church going astray, the word of God being sufficient, and you used your tools to bring it to light. We thank you for what justifies a man, a person. That, of course, is faith in Christ Jesus and him alone. Spirit, teach us this morning. Help your servant. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. As you notice in your bulletin, we're taking a week off from what we normally do here. We usually take a book and exposit verse by verse through that book. But this morning, we we want to take a, and it's appropriate and right, to take a, a time and look at what is historically significant for the church at large. That, of course, being the Reformation. With the celebration of of the Reformation just a day away, I was challenged by a friend, our music pastor, to preach a sermon on the Reformation. I think it was probably because of all the music, right? (laughs) And I took the challenge. I think it's it's helpful 
to be able to look at that historical event in the day and the life of the church and the universal church. Now, there's not much to be learned and celebrated from this historic event. But I want you to understand, it's not that Martin Luther or John Huss or all the other players during the Reformation invented something new. They didn't. It wasn't something new or outside the Bible. If anything, they rediscovered what was already in the Bible and launched that truth against the ills of the church of their day. Catholicism and the Catholic Church didn't take kindly to the rebuke, right? They wanted their heads. They wanted, however, understood the significance of what the Word says, that they were willing to give their lives for it. That was really what was at stake in the Reformation. Who really had the authority or the, the power to say how a person is saved? Was it the Pope and his interpretation of the Bible and all of his indulgences and penance and, and all those things? Is that what saved a person? Or was it God and God's word alone that had the sole authority to tell us exactly how a person is saved? The reason why this question was so important is because it had eternal consequences. What the Pope and his bishops were saying is that a man was justified or saved by faith and his works. Faith was only the entrance. His baptism was only an entrance into the reality of the kingdom of God. But he had to keep on doing good things in order to keep in God's good favor. They totally contradicted the Bible. This was a gross misunderstanding of the gospel. And if anything, the Catholic Church at the time, and even today, true Roman Catholicism misses the mark of the gospel. They miss the truth that saves a person. Luther's desire was not to start a new denomination, but to bring the church back to the truth. And so he nails his 95 Theses on the door of Wittenberg. And, and, and the issue there was that it was all in Latin, the, the, the language of the priest, the language of the pope. And his desire was to, to, to have this discussion. And back in those days, that would be your Facebook post where you could say, hey, I got a problem. Let's post this. Let's talk about it. And in so doing, I think... He was so consumed by what the Word of God said that God used it to ignite the Protestant Reformation. I think when I think about this whole thing and how it unfolded and his love for the Scriptures, Martin Luther would desire to be a good monk. He desired to be within the system and try to adhere to what the Pope and the bishops were saying. He desired to, to, to work hard, and he was. He was, he, was fed, he, he was willing to do everything he could to be saved. And yet he was always falling short. His sin looked at him in his face and continued to tell him that he was a sinner. He was a man without hope, and, and it was only in his, his room did he turn to the Scriptures and start reading the book of Romans and realizing that there is a truth that is far greater than what he's been told. If anything, the truth showed what he had been told was a lie. It was a lie. What I love about the Protestant Reformation is that it told us that no man 
no pope is greater than Christ. The Protestant Reformation also reminds us that the gospel can be lost even in the so-called church. The Catholic Church had so obscured the gospel that they had no idea on how a person, or for that matter, how God could save the ungodly. They had messed it up so bad. Tradition, rituals, penance, all marked the route that they saw and they would say would save a man. Listen, beloved, the church is not built on those things. The church is built upon the good news of Jesus Christ and his life and his death and his resurrection. And it is the church's mission to proclaim the good news to every person in every nation. For the Catholic church, the practices of the church discipline, baptism, Lord's Supper, all those things have lost their biblical significance. Resulting in actually in bringing just... just kind of rote duty. I think of Tetzel who used penance as an instrument to, to draw people to play with their hearts so that they would give money to the church so they can build the church in St. Peter. They messed around with the holy ordinances of what God has given to the church itself and played on people's heartstrings. The invention of purgatory was at this time. The idea was that, you know what, you might not be good enough to, to reach heaven, but you can go to a place in purgatory where if, if your loved ones who are still alive could give just a little bit more to the church, they might be able to be ushered from the purgatory to heaven. All extra-biblical man-made stuff. When you study the Reformation, you find that in Luther's earliest protest of the Roman Catholic Church was, was its sale of indulgences. The practice of selling pardons for sin. And that the church holds the key to that. And it came with a price, a monetary price. This misled many thinking that they were righteous when in reality they were in the crosshairs of God's judgment. I think of even today, I mean, if there's anything, the church needs to continue to reform itself. It needs to continue to make sure that it sticks to the word of God and make it understand that this is the authority and not culture and not the world. I think of the false prophets today that are, that are questioning the reality of judgment and wrath. They teach that God only has one attribute, and that is love. And that love trumps everything. I think of the wolves that teach people to ignore the truth and oppose their own destructive heresy that the Bible needs to conform to culture and the whims of what the world says. I mean, I find myself in my counseling office dealing with the simple truth that you don't have the authority, only the Scripture does, constantly. Constantly trying to help people understand that, that God has a sufficient word that is eternal and that it must be read and it must be obeyed. However, the universal church out there who, whose desire is much like the Catholic church, ignoring what it says and desiring to impose their will upon the truth. 
The Reformation reminds us that maintaining the purity of the gospel matters, amen? Compromising on these essential matters of the gospel will lead to, de to, to death of any church. The Reformation reminds us that the gospel is worth defending, even if it costs you your life. I mean, I think about the 16th century, and when all this unfolded, uh, you even think about the English translation. God would so happen that the printing press would be, be invented at the same time Luther is, is making his charge to look to the Scripture and the authority of the Scriptures. Somebody took those 95 theses, and they took it to the printing press, and they, they translated it into the common vernacular, the German language of the day, and, and they spread and gave the Word of God, and people were looking at their Bibles with fresh eyes. In the 16th century, simply holding a Bible was punishable by death in certain areas. The Reformation reminds me of the conviction and sacrifice of such godly men such as William Tyndale, Martin Luther, John Calvin, Zingli, Bush. I mean, you think about all these guys. They testified through their, their faithful lives, their willingness to give of their blood and to say, listen, we will stand on this for this is worthy to stand. Even today, the apostate church succumbs to, to the political correctness of the day and has no concern for biblical faithfulness. The gate is narrow and the way is hard, but blessed be the church that holds fast to the word of God. Amen? So let us look at this. What was the one doctrine? You, you know that there's five solas that came out of the Reformation, but, but there was one, I think, that was particularly, that, that really struck at the heart of the Catholic Church and what was going on that day. And that, of course, was the doctrine of justification. How is a man saved? You would think that the church would always get that right. But not the case for the Catholic Church. And even in the world that we live in, we have churches that, that so befuddle and muddy the truth that no one can hear the saving news of Jesus Christ. How in the world can a man be saved? One word. The gospel in Jesus Christ, right? That's more than one. The Bible is clear. It is only through faith in the one who can save and impart his righteousness into the unsaved to declare him righteous and right before God. That is how an ungodly man or person can be saved. And as we will see, Jesus will do this. And you've got an outline there that kind of helps you kind of just hang some points of truth as we go through this text. We see Jesus does this apart from the law as a gift through his blood and appropriated to the sinner through faith in him. This is what our passage in Romans chapter 3 teaches us. Paul gives us many a chapters of, of understanding exactly what's going on and, and how one is to understand this justification by faith and, and what Christ has done in his completed work on the cross. But let us look with our eyes and our hearts and see this beautiful truth from the pages of Scripture. How is the ungodly saved? How is the sinner saved? 
And more importantly, how are you saved? First, it's apart from the law. Look at verse 21. It reads there, Paul says, But now apart from the law of the righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. He says, apart from the law. That means separate from the law or without the law. Paul says no one can be saved by the law. Even the prophets testify to this truth. And the law itself testifies that you can't be saved by yourself because the law condemns you. Yet, how can that be, right? Wasn't the law to be God's standard of holiness? Hasn't the law the standard of of what it means to be holy? Hasn't God called us to be holy as he is holy? And the answer to those questions are yes. The law's intention was to make you holy or to show that you need to be holy. In its completion, you would be holy. But think about it, me this, this morning. Maybe even this week or, or, or even this past week or this, even this day, how many of you got up, not willingly, but maybe unwillingly sinned? How many of you willingly sinned? How many of you, I mean, this week when you think about it, have told a lie or, 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 or done things against the law, spoke the Lord's name in vain? You think about just even the Ten Commandments, how much it bears upon our soul and points to the reality that we are sinners. The purpose of the law was to show us the reality that we are sinners and more importantly that you can't save yourself. For not one of us can, can pass the test of keeping the whole law. For that matter, you can't even live one day without violating the law. So what was the purpose of the law? It was to condemn you, to point out that you are a sinner. The purpose of the law is not to show you how how good you are, but to show you how evil and sinful you are. The law shows us that we can never be holy as God commanded us to be. Yet, to be in God's presence, you must be perfectly holy and without sin. Does man have a, a predicament? If the reality of the law points to the reality that I'm a sinful sinner, how in the world am I going to stand before a holy and righteous God? The law shows us that we can never be holy as God commanded us to be. And yet, in the presence of God, you must be holy and without sin. And to drive the stake a little bit further, I mean, the passage in Galatians chapter 3 tells us that if you break one part of the law, you're guilty of it all. One breaking of the law makes you have the heap of the law pressed upon your soul, and you are found guilty. I like what Paul says leading up to this. You know, of course, jumping right into a book, we get, a little, we get lost a little bit of the context, but remember Paul starts off this book in verse 16 of Romans chapter 1 that he's not ashamed of the gospel for he knows that it is the power to save. He understands the significance of the, of the good news and what Jesus Christ has done on the cross. And so then he begins to unlay that out and he points to the reality of sinfulness. But look back to verse 19 of Romans 3 and you can see exactly what Paul says about the law. He says, now we know that whether the law says... It speaks to those who are under the law. 
so that every mouth may be closed and all the world may become accountable to God. What that verse is telling us is that no one can stand before God and say, listen, God, I might not have known Jesus, but, but listen, I'm a pretty good person. I've done, I've done a lot of good deeds. I've helped my neighbor. I've helped the homeless. I, I've loved my wife to my, the best of my ability. I've done everything. I'm, I'm a good person. Surely you've got to let me into heaven. God only needs to look at the law and says, you know what? The law reveals that you're a sinner, and it shuts your mouth. You do not have a testimony before God. Verse 20, because by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For through the law comes the knowledge of sin. That was its purpose. The reality that man can never do enough good deeds. There's not a list of of good deeds that you can even hit in order to find right standing with God. Works. I mean, he just shuts down the conversation real quick. By the works of the law, no flesh will be justified. So many people need to hear that this morning. Our world needs to hear this. You cannot work your way to heaven. No flesh, no human will be justified in his sight because the law condemns you. The word of God says, by the works of the law, trying to be good, doing things in your own power, no flesh, no person will be justified in God's sight. For the law points to the reality that we are all sinners. And not only does it point to the reality that we're sinners, but we also points to the reality that we need somebody outside of ourselves to save us. We need divine help. We need somebody to step in for our cause. Galatians 3.24 tells us, Therefore the law has become our tutor to lead us to Christ so that we may be justified by faith. I love that. Just that one simple verse gives us the reality of what we're preaching about this morning, and that is that the law has, has, has point out to the reality that we are sinners, but in the reality of that, it points to the one who can save us. Jesus Christ. And Paul says there, so that we may be justified by faith. There's the purpose. The reason that Christ was given to you is not only to have you be saved, but by through faith you now may be justified to a holy God in Christ Jesus. The law reveals the dark sinfulness that we all have. It tells us that none is righteous, not even one. So very clearly, God doesn't save you if you are a good person in your eyes. Your works don't save you. God doesn't save you because you're good and you kept some of the law. Works can't save you. Going to church can't save you. Having an act of of righteousness or holiness can't save you. There's only one who can save you. And that, of course, is the Lord Jesus Christ himself. That's why he is so worshipped 
That's why he's magnified. That's why he's exalted. The reality of, of God stepping down from heaven and, and being incarnated in, in, in flesh and dwelling amongst his people, desiring to go to the cross and atone for sins and be the only sacrifice for our sins, only to ascend, resurrect from the dead, and ascend to the right hand of God the Father. He is sufficient to save the sinner. And that's the beauty of the gospel. That's the beauty of the scriptures. Back to our text. It says, but now, apart from the law, get this, the righteousness of God has been manifested. Paul says, now, apart from the law, get this, the righteousness of God has been shown. And who can that be? Of course, that is only Jesus Christ. Knowing that the righteousness of man is inadequate, God steps in and sends his son. And if we're going to be made right with God, we need another righteousness other than our own. And since we can't be righteous by anything done on this side of in this human life, the only way we can be righteous is by something given to us from God. You realize that Christianity is the only truth, I was going to say religion, but the only truth where God steps in and intervenes for sinful man. You notice that every other religion, their desires to try to tell their people how to get to heaven. God says, you can't get here unless I help you, unless I send a rescue, unless I send a redeemer. Since we can't be righteous by anything done on this human side of the earth, God needs to step in. We need a righteousness, however, that's equal to the righteousness that God requires, do we not? That's why the Bible says that in Jesus Christ there is no sin. That's why it tells us in the scripture that, that Jesus fulfilled the law. There is one, a divine person who in the flesh who completed every aspect of the law and was good and righteous in it, and that is only Jesus Christ. The only solution is to have a, an alien righteousness to, to be imputed into our lives, and that's exactly what Jesus does when you repent and believe in him. He gives you a righteousness that you never earned. And he imputes it into your life through faith in him, understanding that you are in this predicament, understanding that you need a savior, understanding that you are a sinner. You come to faith in him. And he is so kind to say, I receive you as my own. And because of that, I'm going to impute this righteousness into you that you never earned. And now God sees his children as he sees his son because he sees his son's righteousness in you. Galatians 2.20 says this, for, for I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ what? Lives in me. Paul understood the, this union in Christ Jesus and the reality uh, that this imputed righteousness now allows him to be in a right standing with a holy God so that in the day of judgment that he's going to be able to stand in front of God and, and you're going to sit there and say, there's no means of by my own that I can enter in, but by only by the blood of Jesus Christ and his righteousness may I enter. And God will say, absolutely. Absolutely. 
Why? Because Jesus Christ is, is sufficient. It's not Jesus Christ plus anything else. It's only Jesus by which, which you are saved. Jesus is the one that was manifested, Paul says. Jesus was the, the perfect, righteous one. He never violated the law. He was without sin. Jesus fulfilled the law, and he's the only one to do it. So much so that he can say in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Thus, he's the only one. And I don't say that ashamedly. I say that with, with joy and delight. He is the only one. Jesus is the perfect model of righteousness in the sense that he lived perfectly and righteously in every aspect of life. What a truth. What a truth. The problem with the Catholic Church is that they were spinning out of control. They, they knew that the people wanted to have this right relationship with, with God, and so they, they played on the Scriptures knowing that they held the authority of, of the Word in Latin, and they interpreted it in such a way as to dispel the gospel. I guess my question as a preacher, as, as someone who loves Jesus Christ, who has faith in him, the question is, have you received his righteousness? Have you received his righteousness? Have you received the grace and the mercy and the forgiveness of sins that only Christ can give? Is he your Lord? Is he your Savior? Is he your rescuer? putting faith in Jesus Christ. That's exactly where Paul leads. It is by faith that you are saved. Scriptures are replete with this truth that it is by faith and only through faith in the one that can save you. You understand that faith has an object, right? To have faith in something, you've got to believe in, in, in that person that it, that faith is, is going towards. And Jesus Christ is, is sufficient in all things. Sufficient. Look at verse 22. Even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe. Wow. Even the righteousness for all those who believe. Those who would believe in Jesus Christ would be counted as righteous in God's eyes. And then he goes on in verse 23, a well-known scripture that we often use in our gospel presentation, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That is our human predicament, knowing that we fall short, we miss the mark. Harmatia in the Greek, the whole idea that we are missing the, the mark of God's holiness, there's no way for us to achieve it. Yet there is a righteousness that's not our own. And that, is, of course, is in Christ Jesus, and faith imputes that righteousness to you. And then it gets beautiful. Look at verse 24. It's a gift, being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. 
This is the word that we wanted to look at, right? This is the word, being justified means being declared righteous. And so what Paul is saying, through faith in Christ Jesus, you are now declared righteous before a holy God. Only he can justify you. Only he. Being justified means being declared righteous. And the one who repents and believes in Christ, Jesus declares them righteous. I mean, there's no other way around this. Any religion that says you can make any contribution to your salvation is a false gospel. And anybody who preaches it, Galatians 6.1 says that they're condemned. Jesus Christ is the only one who justifies the sinner. It is because his righteousness... Not only do you need his righteousness, but it's the only righteousness that you can be saved. And then it's a gift. We understand gifts, do we not? A gift is not something that you purchased yourself. A gift is something that you receive, that is given to you. This is a gift of grace, a gift of of love. I think of Romans 5, where it talks about, though God demonstrates his love towards us, that while we're still yet sinners, Christ died for us. A gift. Grace, of course, being unmerited favor to the undeserved sinner. We don't deserve the kindness of God, do we? But he gives it. And did this grace come at a cost? Absolutely. The blood of Jesus Christ. That's exactly where Paul goes with it. Look at verse 25. It says, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation. In other words, that's a big word saying that God was satisfied in in giving Christ to the world. And that in his sacrifice that he is satisfied with what Christ has done through his death on the cross whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in his blood through faith. This was to demonstrate his righteousness because in the forbearance of God, he passed over the sins previously committed. A covering, a new covenant. You understand that's exactly what happened on the cross. God not only atoned for your sins, but he cuts a new covenant with those who have faith in him. A covenant that he keeps. A covenant that he gives but it's only received through faith. And then he ends with verse 26, for the demonstration, I say, of his righteousness at the present time, so that he would be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. I love that verse. All this comes down to the purpose of why God gave Jesus is because he would be the just one. He would be the just one. He would have total righteousness. And then he would also be the justifier that he would be the only one in which man could be saved. And the ends of the one who has faith in Jesus. This 
That's how God saves the ungodly. He gives them Jesus. He gives them Jesus as the gift to be believed, to be received. Why? Because only Jesus can save you from your sins. Galatians 3.26 tells us, For you are all sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourself. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. And then in Romans 10, 4, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. It's only by faith that you're saved. That was what's so radical during the Reformation. The Catholic Church had you running around doing all kinds of sorts of rigor and mood, trying to figure out how to get there. And a monk opens his Bible and starts reading it. And what comes out was utter joy. Could you imagine what Martin Luther, I think that we could see what his intentions were. He read the truth and realized, aha, we found the answer. We don't have to do all these things. We don't have to do all these works. It is only Jesus Christ. And so he runs to the door of Wittenberg, and he nails the 95 Thesis, hoping that they would see the same truth. He had a coarse man in their own sinfulness. That truth threatened the church of the day. They lost control if they believed what it says. Why? Because then they have to believe everything that Jesus told them to do. We're thankful for the Reformation. We're thankful for the fact that godly men and women stood up for the truth because they read it, they understood it, and they stood by it. Listen, that doesn't change for us today. Our takeaways are, are pretty simple. I mean, our takeaways are, are, are with an understanding that, that we must get the gospel right. And God is kind if we, the church gets it wrong to bring people to make sure that we get it right. But that's our existence. The existence of the church is to get the gospel right. To be able to preach and proclaim to sinners, the ungodly, that there is a Savior that you must repent and believe in him in order to be saved. And there's a reason why there's, there's great truth surrounded by uh, who Christ is, because he is sufficient, he is holy, he is divine, he is God. Thankful for the Lord for his perseverance and saving his truth. I don't know if you realize during that time, the pulpit was set way off to the side. The reading of God's word was just maybe a little portion of the truth that day, a portion of the service that day. Martin Luther pretty much took that pulpit and says, no, put it front and center. Why? Because the people need to hear the word of God. The gospel. You understand that we're challenged by the world to desert this gospel. The world wants you to believe that there are other ways to get to heaven. The world wants you to understand that, you know what, it's okay for somebody to have something contrary to what the Word of God says.
His word will stand. His truth will stand. There's not going to be a debate. There's not going to be any type of leniency when it comes to understanding the word of God when judgment day happens. God, the author of scriptures, is the authority, and thus saith the Lord, this is how a person is saved. And the only way that you're saved is through faith in the one that he's given us, the one who is righteous, the one who is holy, the one who is God, and that, of course, being Jesus Christ. Amen. Let us pray. Father, we we thank you for the morning. Thank you for how you have moved in the past and, and how you move even today. Your desires for men and women, children, to come to the, the same truth that have saved so many in the past. We are only justified by the one who was just. We are only justified by the one who is the justifier who has atoned for our sins. We are only justified through faith in Jesus Christ. May that reminder be our hope. May it be lived out in reality that we can marvel and worship Christ and him alone as the author and the justifier of our salvation. Jesus, we love you. And we thank you for your grace. And we thank you for your mercy and forgiveness. We thank you for the law, for it does reveal that we are sinners and we are left guilty without divine help. Jesus, thank you for being that rescuer. We love you and we thank you. We pray these things in your name because you are the only one that can save an ungodly person, ungodly man or woman. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Magic Valley Bible Church Sermon Podcast. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.mvbible.com tf.org or Facebook at facebook.com slash mvbible or YouTube at youtube.com slash mvbible.